Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, friends. Hi, ladies. Hey, good to see you. So there is nothing more admirable than when two people who see eye to eye keep house as man and wife, confounding their enemies and delighting their friends. Or so says Homer. And since we are in classical education and Homer is the authority, will hold to this. We've had some great conversations about a variety of homeschool topics over the last year. And it really has been delightful for me to have this opportunity to chat through the ins and outs of classical ed and homeschooling with Karen and Renee. So one of the uniting factors of most of us who listen and participate in Dwell is that we are in this great work of motherhood together. We have kids. And because of this, I would venture to guess that a good number of us are also married. Deciding to homeschool is not always, but usually a collaborative decision between husband and wife. And although more often than not, moms are the primary educators, we intentionally chose this path together. We started off on this journey together as man and wife, which means at some point in time, we both decided that we liked each other and wanted to live our lives together. So. Here we find ourselves, however many years later, with however many children later, living a life as husband and wife. Today, I thought we could share a conversation about what love and marriage have to do with homeschooling and classical education. Now, I know we can go a few directions with this conversation, as it's really big, but let's start off perhaps at the top and kind of big picture love, marriage, homeschooling, classical education with, I'll just throw this question out to you. Maybe from your own, it can be from your own experience or maybe just from your own thoughts of how does a classical education influence a marriage, your marriage, a marriage? Karen, what do you think? Classical education, um, if we think about it as the pursuit or the nurturing of wisdom and virtue, by nourishing the soul on truth, goodness, and beauty, that that is something that that is way bigger than just an academic exercise. It's way bigger than the books we choose or the curriculum 
that we choose. It's way bigger than the facts that we teach our kids because we're talking about nourishing a soul. And so it also is going to overflow into the soul of the teacher and um, the soul of the family. If this is being done at home, it can't help but do that. And if it isn't doing that, then there's something wrong because then it's just left as an academic exercise if we're not seeing it somehow lived out. And I think that when we pursue something together and we're asking questions like, is this true? Um, is this good? Is this beautiful? What is beauty? What is truth? What is goodness? Should a character behave in such a way? And if we're putting beautiful things in front of our children, it's going to nurture ourselves. And I would think that in nurturing ourselves, um, it spills over into wanting to nurture the people that we love, including our husband. And so hopefully over time um, and with the wisdom that God gives us, it would affect our relationship in a, in a positive way. And I remember one time years and years ago, um, Andrew had student in his class, I think he was teaching third grade at the time, and he was teaching them about the constellations and about science and about nature. And this girl was going home and talking to these things about her, to her parents. And, and about halfway through the year, her mom said to Andrew, the things that you have taught our children have saved our marriage. And that was, that's something we've just never forgotten. The power of the truth, the good and the beautiful. And I, I can't really explain it, but I just, I know that the power is there. So that's a jumping off spot, I think. Karen, I, I, that, that is, that is so, so true because when we, when we believe, you know, as, as we do as classical educators in a, in a high view of man, for example, um, that, that we believe that it is possible for human beings to pursue and, and to learn to be virtuous. You're right. How can that not spill over into all parts of our lives? I mean, we want to be virtuous moms and virtuous teachers so that we can be the best teachers for our children. But it's, it's not like we can say, well, I want to be a wonderful teacher, but I'm going to be a terrible wife. Or I'm going to have a terrible home life. Of course not. You know, it's, it's going to spill over. It's, it's, it's just all, a, it's a logocentric world and Christ is the center. So everything is going to be centered around Christ. But also the neat thing about classical education is because it's so true. Um, you know, we can, to, you know, to quote David Hicks, he talks a lot about the, the ideal type. And we present our students stories of these ideal types, these heroes, these, these embodiments of what we want to be like. And when we as, as moms read these stories, we're going to start taking that in as well. You know, how can you not read the Odyssey and look at Odysseus and Penelope and the beautiful picture that their marriage is? I mean, one of my favorite chapters in the book is at the very end, and there's this beautiful intimate scene between this husband and wife, and they've been apart, and, and he has come back, and he has literally saved her from terrible things and he has rescued his home. I mean, you know, if you want your knight in shining armor, Homer had it way, way before Harlequin romance had knights in shining armor. Um, and it's beautiful. It, it, it is, it is stated so beautifully. And, and there's, there's Shakespeare and there's poetry and there's all these, like you said, good, beautiful, wonderful things that we, um, we have the privilege of, of learning about and then sharing with those we love. But I will say, and I'm, I'm going to, 
set this right out there at the beginning of this conversation. I am married to a engineer who is not, was not raised on Homer and Shakespeare, um, tolerates it when we talk about it, but he's not going to go read it for himself. So I don't want anyone listening to this to think, oh, well, that's great. You know, you and your husband probably sit around talking about Shakespeare all the time. No, we don't. <laughs> we do not. But if classical education is taught us something, it's that we can learn how to think and how to communicate and how to have good conversations. And that will benefit any marriage. And I'll just add that we don't, we don't talk about that either. You know, like we talk about what do we have to do to our house and what's with our budget and, you know, what's wrong with a car. And, and we, we go over issues with our kids and our grandchildren and it's, it's way bigger. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Don't any, don't people have said to me, what do y'all talk about at dinner? Like, um, plans for tomorrow. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I think I, in that, I love that you brought up the odyssey even because, um, even as a wife, uh, Penelope has been such a, an example to me reading that. And I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't have a classical education. I was introduced to the classics in my adulthood. And I, I remember reading about Penelope's faithfulness and the, the weaving and the, um, unraveling and just how she honored her husband. And I remember thinking, I want to be a wife like that. And, or have you read Kristen Lauren's daughter? I know everyone in the world loves that book and it's just one of their like top favorite stories. I read Kristen Lovren's daughter as a tale of caution because what, wait, what's her husband's name? Karen, do you remember her husband's name? Uh, no, it'll oh, come to me. Drawing a blank. God. Anyway, she and her husband are like my husband and I, it's like, could be us, you know, it's like the cautionary tale. But even that, I took that, I took that to heart of like reading these great books of like finding myself in that. Um, and Renee, I'm with you. We're going to actually have a whole section of this conversation of that, of, you know, what if your husband doesn't love to read Kristen Lovren's daughter, you know? Um, but we, as, as a couple, as a husband and wife, we have intentionally chosen not to offer our children a conventional education. And I would say we would all agree on this, that we have looked at the world we're living in and we see that it's fallen prey to secularism or knowledge-based education or in self-obsession. And we say, we will not hold to this. There must be a truer way. So we sought out a truer way to teach our children. I think this must be true for our marriage as well. There is a conventional marriage and the world says marriage only works if both people are fulfilled through whatever you want to fill the blank in with, happy through that, able to do whatever you want. Um, as long as it works for me, this partnership is going to work. But as we immerse ourselves in the history and literature and of a couple thousand years, it, we actually see that no marriage is truly happy that way. So I've thought about like, why do we expect to have conventional marriages when we hold to ancient unconventional truths? So I, I see like the, the beauty of a classical education is not just like, hey, if I could only get my husband to read Shakespeare, we'd have a better marriage. But there is an ancient, it's holding fast to the ancient truths. And it's not just the academic knowledge that we're acquiring. But as Karen, you said, it, it, is, it is the pursuit of wisdom and virtue. Um, 
So what are some, I just like, well, for, I threw Kristen Lovren's daughter out there. What are some maybe books that you have read that you feel like have kind of encouraged you to, for lack of a better, like to become a better wife, to become wiser in that. Does anything come to mind? I've got to say Wendell Berry, um, if, if I'm choosing a, a book like that, because he, he has such a beautiful way of, in his essays, communicating truth, but also then he puts those same truths into stories. And, and I have, I've read such, my Wendell Berry reading is, is so minuscule compared to others. Um, I know I have a long way to go, but um, even like, you know, this week with the apprenticeship, we were talking about one of the essays in Standing by Words. And, and he said that you can't have this high art and culture without having people who know how to build beautiful things out of wood and, and, and make good meals and, you know, create beautiful places where they live. And in fact, he said, you can tell a lot about a person by their surroundings and what kind of a home they live in. And I thought, Oh, that's convicting. Right. <laughs> because, you know, I, I can talk about truth, goodness and beauty, but will I go mop my floors and, and make sure, you know, the, the place where the people I love have to be is, is it beautiful. Um, so that, that was, that was pretty um, convicting, but he just has such a beautiful way of talking about community. He does. And, and living faithfully with each other, like Hannah, and Nathan Coulter. Yes. And yes. there's a story in um, the stories in Fidelity um, about Elton Penn and his wife when they're young, um, a jonquil for Mary Penn. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story of a young married couple. I just love that story so much. But there are such great examples of people living faithfully with one another over long periods of time. And then you have the story, the memory of old Jack. And you learn about Jack's marriage to Ruth, and it was not good. And so you have these these two examples, you know. When you mm-hmm. am I am I like Penelope? Am I gonna am I gonna weave or am I gonna unravel? And you can you know you can use that image. You can use that image every day in mm-hmm. your actions. Is this action I'm taking? Is this weaving or unraveling? Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's a, a wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. I think that often, mm-hmm. am I building my house or am I, it's not that your house is being torn down. Like you're literally tearing it down with your own hands. And those words, those words stick with you somehow, you know, like I didn't, it's not like, it's not like I thought up that Bible verse myself. Um, and that's the beauty of those words becoming, becoming a part of you. Um, I was trying to remember. I'm at school, so I don't have Hannah Coulter right here, but at the end, the very last paragraph of Hannah Coulter, and it talks about the, the givenness that they have together. So I I can't quote it. So if any of you have the book, Hannah Coulter, (laughs) and you've already read it, I mean, if you haven't read it, don't start with the last paragraph. Um, and you've already read it just go back to that last paragraph. And again, I don't exactly remember what it says, but it just talks about the givenness and um, the knowing each other through their life together. And this was a farm life, right? This was a physical life that they had together. Um, So, you know, um, Renee touched on this a little bit of, you know, what, what if you're not married to Andrew Kern? Um, What if you are married to someone who maybe they're not a reader 
or if they read, my husband loves spy novels. Um, he loves spy novels. He loves fly fishing. He's a, he's like an outdoorsman and an adventurer and a businessman. Um, and you know, what if you're married to someone like that? What is like, what is a classical, what is a classical education in that marriage? Um, and speaking of Wendell Berry, Renee, do you have that, that quote that you had read to us earlier on, on limits? And so this comes out of um, the chapter in the book, Standing by Words, um, called Poetry and Marriage, the Use of Old Forms. And he's talking about, it, it seems like these are two contradictory ideas, but you know, hey, if you're a mom with a husband and kids, you, you understand contradictions. So we live in worlds full of um, contradictions. But he said, you know, the first thing about a marriage is it's limited. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, you can only be married to one person, it's one man and one woman. There are limits. There's a form that we need to submit to. Um, and, and you can't alter these definitions to suit your convenience or your circumstance. Well, in today's world, a lot of people want to do that um, and, and to their peril. Um, so, you know, marriage does not invite a solution that's like, well, I'll just ditch the marriage and, and do something else, but it's this vow. And so you are voluntarily submitting to this limit by becoming married. And that's before you even, you know, before you even say I do, just the idea that this is something we're going to limit ourselves. But then the second aspect is seems like the opposite of limits. He calls it a um, an opening, a generosity toward possibility. So when you think about that, marriage is this wonderful adventure. And it requires us to be open and generous toward possibilities that we don't even know what they are. Um, but but we're going to do this together and, and I'm going to get to know you better and you're going to get to know me better. And, and we don't know what the next 20, 50, 60 years are going to look like, but we're open to the generosity of the possibility. Um, and he said, it, Barry says, it, it's this unknown that requires us to be generous it and requires our generosity to be full and unconditional. Um, so, you know, being open and generous, of course, also means that you're willing to lay down your life for this other person. And as you embark on this journey together, that that's the beauty of it. And, and Emily, you asked the question, if your husband doesn't like to read and do these things you like to do, he likes to do these other things. What does that look like in classical, you know, classical education? Well, it means it means as much as you can or you want to or he wants to include you, you do those other things too. Like you can, I know that you you have now become an outdoorsy woman and you go on these long backpacking hikes in the mountains with your kids and you go camping and you, you know, camping without even like hot water. <laughs> I, I say we can go camping if if there are flush toilets in a bathroom and hot water for showers. But you know, right. I think I think you know you if you if you're knowing each other over these long periods of time, you know, it's they they say that people become more like their spouse over you know years and years and years. And, and I think that's partly because if your husband has these interests, then you decide you lay down your life. And you go, I'm going to go do this with you. And, and then maybe he'll read with you, but maybe not. And that's okay because you're laying down your life. Mm. Okay. Karen, can you read that Elizabeth Elliot quote? Yeah. So this Karen is read this earlier. Elizabeth and it's so said, good. 
A wife, if she is very generous, may allow that her husband lives up to perhaps 80% of her expectations. There is always the other 20% that she would like to change, and she may chip away at it for the whole of their married life without reducing it by very much. She may, on the other hand, simply decide to enjoy the 80%, and both of them will be happy. I love that quote so much. So I am... I. I really enjoy the Enneagram. It's really helped me to get to know the people in my family. So you may or may not be an Enneagram person. Maybe you've never heard of it. Um, but I'll throw out there for those of you who are familiar with it. I am an Enneagram one, which in that you live in that 20% of what people are not doing that they should do most of the time. You're like, these people really need to get it together. And maybe that's why it resonates so much with that quote, like the beauty of it is just, you know, maybe you should just put a big sign on your refrigerator. It's like says 80% on there of just the joy of this person that you are living with. And as you said, Karen, learning to walk towards that person. And yeah, I, I didn't really start out much of an outdoors person. It's not, I mean, I don't really like the cold and I like to be comfortable. So we'll throw that out there. Um, I always have to figure out how you can bring books backpacking. I mean, I mean, because what else are you going to do once you get there? And then I did. I married this like avid outdoorsman and I would say like fisherman, but it's not just that. It's it's anything. It's anything outside, biking and fishing and climbing and what all the things. Um, and learning to walk towards that. And now seeing the goodness of that and seeing the joy of what that has given me in a full life. And realizing that the beauty of marriage is that we are walking this road together. It's not him becoming like me. Like if he just read more Homer, we'd have a better marriage. Um, but the goal of reading Homer was never to read Homer. So if I read Homer and it was like, wow, I want to be a faithful wife. The goal of Homer was accomplished right there. And for my husband, actually, when he's out on the river fishing, as he says, this is when I'm close to God. This is when I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good wife, a good, a good father. And so recognizing the goodness of the life that God has crafted with us together. And it's just unique to everyone. And does, as you said, Renee, requires laying down your life. That's not easy. No, it's not. But um, communication, of course, goes a long way, you know, having those good conversations. And, and, you know, I think for those of us, those homeschool moms who are listening to this, and if you're in the trenches, and you've got toddlers and diapers and stomach bugs, and, you know, just piles of laundry, and you're like, I just need to survive, you know, <laughs> good marriage, we're just trying to get through till next week, right. Um, but and I know when we started homeschooling, a lot of people thought, well, you know, of course the dad's going to help, right? And what does that look like? But that that can be so individual depending on your own family circumstances. Like some dads love to get down on the floor and play with the kids and teach them a math lesson. Um, some don't enjoy that at all. But, you know, they're, they're funding, the, <laughs> funding the school by going to work. 40 hours or however many hours a week. And that's important. Or um, maybe 
maybe dad's role is more of a making sure mom doesn't lose it and keeping his pulse on the, the temperature of the household and saying, you know, honey, maybe, maybe you could use a night away and either let's go on a date or maybe you should go out with your girlfriends and um, just, you know, have a couple hours to yourself at the coffee shop to read whatever, you know, makes, makes mom be able to survive <laughs> for the next however many weeks. Um, so there's, there's lots of different ways that, that support and help and sacrifice I think can look in a home. Um, so it's, it's just, just really important to talk about it and make sure everybody has clear expectations and, um, that you really are on the same page. So here's a question for, for you who have walked through being married and homeschooling when you had babies and tweens and teens and now adult children, even Um, like, how do you remember that you are married when there's a million other things that you're doing at the same time? And like, Oh, right. Like I'm in this, sacramental covenant relationship with another human while at the same time most of us are kind of doing a million things yeah how did Mm -hmm. you how did you find space for your husband during those those times um I think um taking time to have conversation to um meet him at the door they're often, they're very, often those gestures are very simple. It doesn't have to be a big date night. Um, sometimes it's just a smile across the room, you know, um, remembering to do those really simple things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't need a lot of money because we didn't have that when the kids were little, um, you know, Sometimes when we could go to the grocery store together, that was date night because at least we were by ourselves. I know we've done that so many times. <laughs> it's like, Hey, it works. You do, you do what you have to do. Um, but you know, and then of course, as the kids got a little older, they could be, they could be their own babysitters. We didn't have to pay a babysitter, but there were times we just traded with friends and we watched their kids one Friday and they watch ours the next. So we didn't have to pay for babysitting. Um, but even just, um, you know, I've got a friend and, and their date night is, you know, put the kids to bed and she and her husband go in their bedroom, watch their own movie. <laughs> so at least it's, it's quiet. And, um, you, you, you do, you get creative and, and find ways to, um, you know, just, just to remind each other, Hey, you know, these kids are wonderful, but they are going to grow up and leave. And then it's just going to be the two of us again. And so you got to work on nurturing that relationship and, and keeping it strong because when the kids leave, you're back to just the two of you. And you don't want to look at that person and say, who are you? And who am I married to? Um, you want to look forward to those times when the kids leave and you're like, Oh, this is a whole new stage. It's a whole new adventure together. And that's fun. And, and the stages are, you know, sometimes you just got to let things go because it's the stage. And then, then you have to like work through a stage or then like there's but there's never a stage where you can just let let it slide and go oh well you know we're married 37 years we're good to go like it's it's always i don't know if young married women want to hear this but it's always to be worked on oh yeah cuz you're still two sinning people you're still two sinners right, right. trying to live under the same roof <laughs> and and 
people get it. People are annoying, you know, and you're annoying. And so you have to keep working on, you have to keep forgiving and you have to keep, you know, choosing to love even after a long time. I think when I had this wake up realization that my husband needed me as much as my kids did, that was, that was like, that was a revelation for me actually. Cause like, he's a grown man, you know? He can like take care of himself. And here I have all of these people who are so demanding and a mother's heart is for her children. Like we care so deeply for not only their, their physical health, but their emotional and their spiritual. I mean, here I am with these teenagers now and right. And my greatest longing is that they will, they will walk in truth and purity and that they will be steadfast in the faith. And I think, do I have that same longing for my own marriage? Like, do I want that? And I kind of like wrestled with that a little bit in that, you know, do I want more for my kids than I do even for my marriage? And I, I thought of that verse that says um, women will be saved or preserved through the bearing of children. And I know there's a lot of like controversy around what that verse means, but I'm just going to take it at face value and like women will be saved through the preserve, through the bearing of children because it, it teaches us so much about how to love. And I actually told my husband this the other day, I was like, you know what? I think I'm learning how to love you because we had children. It's this whole journey of learning to love another, but there's so much sacrifice and longing and hope and joy that goes into motherhood. And I think it is, it can shift your heart towards this man that you love and like teach you how to love your husband, which is funny. You'd think it'd be the opposite, right? Um, I think motherhood is showing me how to love and deepening within me what it means to love another human and then turning that towards this man that I love who needs me. Like we were, like we were made for each other, which is just amazing to think like just the two of us were made to each other. As you said, Renee, our kids are going to grow up and leave and these two people who are made for each other, we're going to still be together in this. Well, thank you for, we are, it's like, that's it. That's the end. We're running out of time here. Um, thank you for your, your wisdom and your thoughts on, um, love and marriage and homeschooling and a classical education. And I, I pray for all of our marriages that, um, the Lord will be merciful and keep us safe and strong and that we will just grow families that are turned towards him. Amen. Until next time, here's to home. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.